All right, so today we're wrapping up our Pray Like Jesus campaign. So this is the, at least the last sermon that I'm going to give. We'll have a couple of guest speakers the next few weeks. Um, but today I'm wrapping up my portion, I should say, of the Pray Like Jesus campaign. And then we'll have a couple of conference sessions on, oh man, what are those dates? We shared them and I forgot them. A couple weeks. So not this coming week, the following week. Tuesday and Thursday we'll have keynote sessions on um, on Zoom, on, not Zoom, YouTube, you guys, whatever. I recorded them on Zoom. You can watch them on YouTube. This is going great. Okay. Um, yeah, Lord, help me. <laughs> okay, I don't know why. I should, I, when I don't write things down, I get all, ugh. Okay, so Tuesday, Thursday, that week, we're going to have keynote sessions where um, I'm going to do some interviews. I recorded one on Friday with a couple from Nicaragua on prayer and connecting with God through the Spirit. They work with YWAM in Nicaragua, so we'll release that one. Um, and then I'm going to also be doing another interview on the practicing the disciplines and how we connect with God through the disciplines and through uh, things like prayer, fasting, all the typical practices that we talk about within the church. So that one will be actually with my cousin Jason uh, Pfeffer, who is just planting a church who was working with Willow Creek at the Practice Church, which was a uh, part of Willow Creek for years. So we'll get his story. Um, we're looking forward to that. And we have Worship Well that Wednesday night. So mark those things on your calendar. More information will be coming out. We're lo looking forward to that week. Remember, sounds busy. There's a lot of stuff. That's when we ramp up into the conference week, and then Calm Week is after that. All right. Pray Like Jesus campaign. So let's finish it. Let's finish this series today. Let's pray. Lord, guide our time. God, would your word just speak truth to us. And Lord, would we be convicted and drawn to you through your word and through the truth that we find here. So Lord, would your Holy Spirit be guiding us and leading us in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so remember, this campaign, we're just looking at the life of Jesus and the prayer life of Jesus and saying, how can we pray more like Jesus? How can we be, act like him? In, in our rhythms, in our routines, and in our prayer life, all of that. And then how can we pray like Jesus prayed with the words that he used, the themes that he taught us to pray for, all of that stuff. So um, today, coming to the end, we're coming to a couple of teachings of Jesus on prayer. So most of this series has been looking at Jesus' uh, experiences of prayer and how he prayed. But the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at a couple of his teachings on prayer. So we went through the Lord's Prayer earlier in this series, and then now we're going to come to a couple of other small teachings on Jesus' prayer life in Luke chapter 18. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Luke chapter 18, starting in verse 1. I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. Usually I read out of the uh, English Standard Version or the New International Version, but the, uh, the New Living Translation is a little bit more like conversational in English. Okay, so they, they don't really try to translate each word for word, which the ESV does, and it makes it a little bit awkward reading in English a lot of times. The New Living Translation takes the idea and tries to communicate that as best as it can into English. Okay, so I could go on a whole rant about translations and why they are. Talk to me later if you care. Um, but <laughs> that's why I'm, re I'm reading out of this because it, it does a good job with these texts and we don't lose a lot in missing in just individual word translations. And the ESV and the NIV have a couple of awkward translations and a couple of awkward phrases that 
We're just going to read out of the New Living Translation today. All right. So, one day, Jesus told his disciples to show that they should always pray and never give up. I love this. This makes my job so easy when the author of Scripture, in this case, Luke, he just gives us the application right off the bat. Okay? He says, Jesus told them this story. It's kind of a short parable that says, hey, here's the point of this. We should always pray and never give up. Keep praying. Persevere in prayer. That's the application of this, primary application. Now, within it, we're going to see uh, Jesus uses certain themes, and he draws out some more teachings within this, but the primary application is keep praying. Keep praying. Super easy. All right. So, he goes on with this story. There was a judge in a certain city, he said, who neither feared God nor cared about people. So, this judge is kind of a scoundrel, right? This guy, he doesn't fear God. Nor does he care about people. So he doesn't care that the Old Testament, the law of Moses, calls him to a very high standard as a judge. The judges in this culture were supposed to speak, carry the authority of God in their communities. Okay? They had a high calling, a huge responsibility. And he didn't really care about that. So he didn't fear God. He didn't care to follow the law of Moses. He didn't really care about what people thought either because he didn't care about, he didn't fear people. He didn't care. This guy was just a bad judge, terrible judge. Not the guy you want to appear before. He goes on, a widow of that city came to him repeatedly. So widows in this culture were very vulnerable members of society. It was almost impossible for them to earn income. The law required the people in these communities to provide for them through various means. Okay, the story of Ruth is a good example of that. Like kinsman redeemers, like if you're, uh, so if my brother were to pass away, it was my responsibility to care for his family. Okay, that's the idea. Um, because they had a difficult time caring for themselves and they were very vulnerable, which meant that they could easily be taken advantage of and exploited. So, like the story of Ruth, how, how Ruth goes with Naomi to provide her at least a, a chance at a sustainable life because Naomi, her mother-in-law, would have been impoverished for the rest of her life without Ruth. So... They were required to leave the edges of their field. If you owned a farm, you had to leave the edges of your field for widows to come and glean, for the poor to come and glean. This was how they provided in these communities. So this widow came to him repeatedly saying, give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. So she's got an enemy. We don't, Jesus doesn't dive into it much, but she's crying out for justice. Give me justice against my enemy. The judge ignored her for a while. So the judge kind of, because these people were vulnerable, didn't have a lot of power, didn't have a lot of influence in this society, it seems like the judge is just saying, you know what, if I keep ignoring her, she'll eventually go away and stop bothering me. Because he has no, he doesn't fear God, he doesn't care about doing what is right by her, he doesn't fear man, he doesn't care what she thinks, certainly, he doesn't care what other people think, okay? He doesn't care that this is his responsibility, so he's hoping she just goes away and leaves him alone and stops pestering him. But finally, he said to himself, I don't fear God or care about people. Okay, Jesus is emphasizing this. This guy was a real scoundrel. But this woman is driving me crazy. Okay, 
A lot of jokes to be made there. Won't go there, okay? Sign of my sanctification. Okay. I'm going to see that she gets just I'm going to see that she gets justice because she is wearing me out with her constant requests. So this guy, he just says, you know what? Okay. She's driving me crazy. She keeps coming back. Every time I hold court, she's there, and I have to hear her case, and she keeps asking me. So eventually, he's just like, all right, I got to do something, and he's going to give her justice, even though he doesn't fear God nor care about people. Then the Lord said, learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. So, Don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? So here's a a very common tactic in Hebrew wisdom literature and in teaching. It says, we saw it last week too in Luke chapter 11. If you who are evil know how to do this, then how much more will the father do this, right? So even even if this unjust judge eventually gives her justice, how much more will God give his people justice? Because God is good. This guy is a scoundrel. So, the primary teaching here, the primary application is keep praying. But within this story, Jesus draws out this theme of justice and seeking justice. So, he said, don't you think that God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? We've run up against this theme many times in prayer throughout uh, this whole series talking about how uh, it's, it's referencing God's chosen people, God's elect, the ones who are in Christ. Jesus promises here that God will give them justice when they keep crying out to him day and night. He says, will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. Okay. So again, in the context, talking about God's chosen people, he says he will grant them justice speedily or quickly. So this inevitably brings up in our minds the question of like, what happens to those Christians who aren't granted justice speedily, who are the victims of great injustice, right? Even the 12 disciples who he's talking to, 10 of them will die brutal deaths of martyrdom. What happened to justice for them, Jesus Well, this next statement is likely leading to what he's referring to. He says, but when the Son of Man returns, how many will he find on earth who have faith? So what he's saying is when he returns, he's pointing to the next step, uh, and this could be the meaning of this quickly or finding it soon, right? That the next step in God's plan of redemption history will be Jesus' return, okay? So after Jesus died, rose from the dead, ascended into heaven. Now the next big, like, uh, epic moment in history is going to be Jesus' return and God's plan of redemption history. So now we're waiting from the first appearance of Jesus to the second appearance of Jesus. So it is the next step. And when Jesus returns, he will fully administer and bring about justice for his chosen people. That means all the wrong that has been done throughout history will appear before the judgment seat of God and God will administer justice upon Jesus' return. Okay? So nobody's getting away with anything in life. All right? Even if they appear to be, 
Even if they do in this experience of life, in these moments, and people are martyred, people are imprisoned for a long period of time unjustly, people are harmed, people are enslaved, God promises to bring justice to his chosen people. It's God who does this. So what he's, what he's saying in this last phrase is, is, when I return, I will bring justice. Will you still be trusting me when I return? Or will you give up hope? Will you stop trusting me and start turning to your own means of vengeance and violence and retaliation? Or will you continue to trust in me to vindicate you and to bring you justice? So if you are God's chosen people, we must trust in Jesus that he, when he returns, will bring justice fully. We don't need to take justice into our own hands in the sense of vengeance and violence in retaliation. This is good news for the church and a teaching that we must take to heart. This is also likely a jab at the Pharisees <laughs> who were in earshot. Uh, what he's saying, and if we read a few verses earlier, the Pharisees are here, they're listening. Jesus is primarily talking to his disciples. Um, but this is a, a subtle jab, saying like, when I return, will there be faith uh, better than you? <laughs> will the people who are on earth, when I return, will they be trusting me better than you are? Because remember, the Pharisees represented the religious leaders of the Jewish people who have been waiting for the Messiah, who are today even still waiting for the Messiah, because they don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah, they should have seen him. They should have believed. They should be trusting that Jesus truly is the Messiah, and they weren't. So he's saying, when I return, will there be more faith on earth? A little bit of a jab at the Pharisees, and most likely a reminder to the disciples to continue trusting, even though they are experiencing grave injustices. Okay, that's that story. That's story number one. We got two stories today, all right? We got to wrap it up, so I'm, you know trying to include everything. <laughs> All right. But they're back to back, okay? So they're in the same section of scripture, so I just went with it. All right. Next one. Then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Okay, again, Luke is just making my job so easy. He says, hey, here's the point. The point of this next story is uh, don't trust in yourself, in their own righteousness, and don't scorn others. Don't be prideful. So what he's saying is, uh, when we're prideful, these are the two results. We tend to trust in our own self-righteousness, and we scorn other people, or we don't respect them. We kind of look down our nose at them, right? Look at them with contempt. So now he goes into another story. And in this story, um, this is the main point, but in order to get to this point, he, he teaches us a lesson on prayer. Okay, so this is where it fits into our prayer theme. It said, two men wanted, went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, and the other was a despised tax collector. <laughs> okay, tax collectors in this culture were just that. They were despised. Okay, they were uh, Jewish people who worked for the Roman oppressive occupying force. So they collected taxes for Rome. They often collected way more taxes than they needed to, because that's how they made their income, was they just set the, set the tax amount, and they had freedom to do this from the Roman government. So if you push back, the Roman army is coming, right? So they, they could set the tax amount for whatever they wanted, and they'd 
charge you way more than was actually the baseline so that they could earn an income. And they would line their pockets with it. And they were often very wealthy. They were often very immoral. And the Jewish people viewed them as traitors, okay, because they sold out to Rome instead of standing strong with the people of Israel. So we got one Pharisee who's a religious elite. This guy followed the law to the T. He, everybody looked up to him as like the standard, the gold standard for religious piety. And he was. They were, they were very intentional and very good about following the law. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not like other people. Cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like that tax collector over there. All right, so this guy, and what I want us to notice here is how he is praying a prayer of thanksgiving and how, how subtle this deception and this pride is. Okay, he thinks that he's being humble. He thinks he is. He's praying a prayer of thanks to God. But couched within this prayer of thanks to God in following all of the rules, he's really being self-righteous and proud and looking upon others with contempt. So this is subtle, okay? This happens very subtly. And later I'm going to call us to be aware of that. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give you a tenth of my income, okay? So he fasts twice a week. The law of Moses only required them to fast once a year. So this guy's going way above and beyond. And uh, the law of Moses left some income forms exempt from tithe. Okay? So this guy, and in, in other translations and in the Greek, it emphasizes all. That he tithes on all of his income. Everything that comes in, he tithes on all of it. So we see here, even within his prayer of thanksgiving, he's trusting in his own self-righteous works, his own religious piety to justify him before God. Okay, Jesus is going to compare and contrast that prayer of thanks, which is really pride, masquerading as thanks, with the prayer of this tax collector. Remember who's despised in this culture. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Band, you guys can come and get set up. <clears throat> so, instead, he beat his chest in sorrow. Okay, so this guy, all of this, his, he stares at a distance. He's probably not familiar with being in the temple. He's rarely there, so he stays away. He doesn't even lift his eyes. He puts his head down. He beats his chest in sorrow. That was a cultural expression of sorrow and humility and grief. All of this represents legitimate humility, whereas the Pharisee represented a fake form of humility. And then his prayer, his prayer is so beautiful and so simple, yet so profound. Oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. The only words the guy can muster, the only words the guy needs is to recognize his, the true problem, that he is a sinner, and then to recognize the true remedy for his problem is solely God's mercy. Not his actions, not how good he is, not his religious piety, nothing. God, I am a sinner. I need your mercy, period. End of prayer. What a beautiful prayer. Then Jesus sums it up. He says, I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. This should haunt you. This haunts me. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. 
Lord, help us to pray like this. Help our prayers to be genuine, authentic, real, true expressions of our humility. Lord, would you point out the, the, the subtle deceptions that we deceive ourselves. We think we're humble, but we're proud. Lord, convict us by your spirit. to true, genuine, real humility. Lord, we love you and we thank you for your word that teaches and guides us. It's in your name we pray, amen. Would you guys stand with us? Let's sing together. You guys can have a seat. So as we apply this text to our lives, I don't, there's really only one point in, in I'm gonna make four, there's really only one that I think you guys need me to really expound on at all or teach much on. I think the rest of this, we really just need to wrestle with God with, best way I can think to say it. You need to think on this and apply this to your life and say, is this true or not? For me. So what we're gonna do with each of these, just make the, the quick application point, and then with each of them, we're just gonna sit with it for a moment or two, and I want you to close your eyes and just reflect and pray. Just go through a time of just guided prayer. I'll ask a few questions and then you apply these to your lives and see if these things are true or not. I'll make the point really quick and then we'll, we'll pray. The first one here, again, these are very simple, is that we need to persevere in prayer. Persevere in prayer. Remember the widow who kept coming to the judge time and time again, asking him for justice, to hear her case and to do something, to do his part he is the one who had the power to help her in her time of need. And so she kept coming to him. She was powerless in this society. She had nothing that she could do to bring justice on her own. But she keeps begging the judge for justice, and eventually he does. And Jesus reminds us that, yes, we should keep coming to God with prayer. We need to persevere in prayer. Last week we saw that we can come to God and how amazing that is that God wants us to come to him. Today, we're seeing, God wants you to persevere. Keep praying. Constantly. Come back to him in prayer, even when we don't seem to be seeing the results that we desire. So again, this applies with all of our conversations on prayer that we need to pray for what Jesus told us to pray for here. This, this woman is coming to God seeking, or coming to the judge seeking justice. And, and Jesus says that God will give justice to his chosen ones, to the elect. He will, and he will do it quickly. So when we pray for things like justice to come, we're praying for God's kingdom to come, for God's perfect justice to be done here on earth. So pray for that. Pray for salvation. Pray for Provision, those things that Jesus told us to pray for. Protection from evil. Pray for God's name to be glorified in the earth. Pray for the ability to forgive like God forgave you. There's 
an individual who's offended you that you're having a hard time forgiving and you just can't muster the internal courage to forgive them, pray for it. Jesus invites you to pray for it. Pray for it. And if you don't seem to feel it right away, keep praying for it. Persevere. Keep going. These are the things Jesus told us to pray for, and so we should pray for them. So take a moment, close your eyes. Say, what, what have you been praying for for a long time? You haven't seen it come to fruition. You haven't gotten an answer. It's within God's will that he has called us to pray for. What have you given up on praying for because you just haven't seen it? Recommit to persevering in prayer and continuing to pray. Next one is God will give justice to his chosen ones. Jesus says it very clearly, very specifically in this text. God will bring justice to his chosen ones. So that begs the very simple question in our culture today, who are those who are crying out for justice? There are many among the elect crying out for justice in the unborn. Crying out for justice against the tragedy of abortion and the great injustice that that is. Many among the elderly who are very disproportionately affected by things like physician-assisted suicide and euthanasia and who are left in a very vulnerable position even as it is and to a nursing home <laughs> don't go to a nursing home in COVID but nursing homes are very lonely places women crying out for justice in our culture against abuse and violence, Me Too movement, Church Too movement, crying out for justice, for people to hear them, trafficking, Chimatia mentioned International Justice Mission, there are many around the world, children who are enslaved, crying out for justice. In our country, African Americans have been crying out 
for justice for centuries? Many of the voices crying out for justice are our brothers and sisters in Christ who hold to the same gospel that we do. Men of God like Charlie Dates, the BT Anyobile, Jamar Tisby, foreigners, immigrants coming to our country to find hope, yet they're mistreated even now at the border, not given even the rights that our laws require. Refugees fleeing war-torn regions. Persecuted Christians in places like China, Iran, Turkey, North Korea, all over the world, crying out for God to give them justice. So this text that Jesus says here, I think for those who are facing injustice, it's a call for them to persevere, to continue praying, to continue seeking God. Man, will he find faith on earth when he returns? What Jesus is saying is, will you still be trusting in me even after facing such grave injustice and such terrible evil being done to you? Gosh, Think of African-Americans in the middle of the slave trade crying out for justice. God really cares about justice, you guys. Man, we should too. So he's saying keep crying out, keep crying out for justice, keep persevering in prayer. Come to me and keep praying. Jesus will bring justice, if not even in this life upon his return when he will judge everything that has been done. And for those of us who are not facing injustices like myself, join them in persevering in prayer. Continue praying for God to bring justice on their behalf. And support, care, love. So take a moment. If you're a victim of injustice and you've been blaming God or you've been running from him to other things, turn around, run back to God, he wants you to continue trusting in him and praying and persevering in prayer. And he promises that he will bring justice. In the end, he will bring justice. As Tolkien's character, Samwise Gamgee says, he will make everything sad come untrue. He will. And we must trust in that. So sit and reflect on that. And if you have resisted or fought against justice for God's chosen people, we need to repent. Just take a moment with that.
Next, we're going to move into the next story. First point of application comes from our Pharisee character. Point is very simple. Prideful prayers are bad prayers. So don't pray them. <laughs> again, bringing this up again. The difficulty of this is he was doing externally everything right. He was at the temple. He was praying prayers of thanks. But his heart was full of pride. And the two results of pride are self-righteousness. You attempt to be made right before God by your own actions. You think of your actions, your, your giving, your morality, your whatever, your serving as justifying you before God. And then the second result is you look at others with contempt. You, you look down at them because they aren't as good at this religion thing as you are. Therefore, you hold yourself on a higher plane. Now, you'll never say it, but in your heart, you know. You know that you're looking down on others because they aren't as righteous and religiously pious as you are. Jesus says this guy walked away and he was not justified. That's a scary place to be. And I don't want any of you to be there. Thinking that you're justified before God when your heart is full of pride. Pride is the anti-God state of mind. You can't be prideful in worship. You can't. It doesn't work that way. So sit, close your eyes, reflect on this. Really search your heart for any subtle self-righteousness or contempt for others that may be masquerading as prayers of thanksgiving to God. Dig deep, because this is hard to recognize. And we all have pieces of this baked into our theology and our Christianity that we need to get rid of. If you find yourself saying things like, well, at least I'm not like them, you may have a problem there. Spend a few moments on that. Last one is very simple. Humble prayers are good prayers. We need to pray more humble prayers. You don't have to beat your chest like this guy to be humble, but you need to make sure that your heart is truly humble, that it isn't this fake pride masquerading as humility in our prayers of thanksgiving like the Pharisee, like we just prayed about. We need to be like this tax collector. I love that Jesus makes a tax collector the hero of the story. <laughs> it's so common and he does it all the time. This unlikely hero. So pray the prayer of the tax collector. I want you to close your eyes and just pray this prayer. It's so simple, but oh my goodness, 
It's so profound, and it is so true. God, have mercy on me, for I am a sinner. Recognize that you are a sinner. And the antidote for your sin is simply God's mercy. Nothing else will do. So close your eyes. Pray this prayer. Be sure it's genuine. Be sure that you can honestly say, I am a sinner, and plead for God's mercy that you're not trusting in any of your own righteousness to justify yourself before God, but solely in God's mercy.